had various titles, had hundreds of them, you know. But they, the next day, none of them seemed to work. You know, it was called Fab for a bit. And it was called How's That? Because we all went to cricket one day. It was called so many things. In the end, I just had to have a title, to, otherwise the album never come out. So as there was clouds on the cover, we called it Cloud Nine. When you look at the cover, it could have been called Spot the Loony. But I thought, you know, it, they mightn't go for that. This week's Wednesday was Fab. I'm Ed Chan. And I'm John Stone. Well, let's see. Paul has announced a new book. Yeah, and it's kind of cool, the concept. 1964, Eyes of the Storm. Right. The, the camera turns on the rest of the world. And, I mean, we've gotten Ringo's photos, or at least a, a nice selection of Ringo's photos. What we're getting in this is... 275 out of Paul's collection of nearly a thousand photos. To look at the love and the wonder of what we went through that's captured in a lot of these photographs is the whole thing. It's what makes life great. He explicitly says that the photos are Paris and London and Liverpool and New York City. When were they in Liverpool in 1964? They certainly were in Liverpool for the uh, Hard Day's Night premiere. That's really Beatlemania, I suppose. I, you know, I don't know that his 64 Liverpool photos would be that much different than the rest of the world. Although, I mean, he's he knows where he's looking with the camera rather than just sort of snapping photos of what's around him. Right. Well, I suspect they'll also be verbiage in all this, you know. I mean, he could he could have taken a picture of the crowd in Liverpool from the balcony, and that would be kind of a, a cool perspective. When they're doing their Hitler salutes. Yeah, right. A real close-up of John Lennon <laughs> having fun, but... <laughs> right. I guess we'll wait and see. This is Paul's birthday present from him to us. That'll put it in June. It will be in Volume 5 of Alan Cozen's new book. Right, right. So what we're talking about this week, we are talking about George Harrison's uh, guesting uh, with other people. In part, we're talking about this because Christoph Engelhardt has the new version of his Beatles Uncovered, the Beatles Fully Uncovered. That's out, and that is a full compilation of every time John Paul, George, or Ringo has guested with somebody. But they've taken George's pieces out and assembled them into a collection. It was pressed on discs if you really want to search them out, but you can find it on the internet. And actually, all of these are now available on YouTube. I went and looked for a healthy selection of them, and they were all there. I said, George, I wanted you to play slide on this uh, this track if you would uh, solo for us. And he said, Bill, you... He said, Rhythm Kings? I said, yeah. He said, you've got two of the best guitarists in the world in the band. Why do you want me? Because I had Albert Lee, of course, who's in the band still, and Martin Taylor, the wonderful British jazz guitarist. Mm. Been top jazz guitarist for about 17 years in England. And um, and I said, well, you know, I just want your style. He says, I only play one note. I said, well, that's the note I want, George. That. <laughs> <laughs> 
so so I sent him the tapes and he did it at home and um, he did a really nice job on it. So just listening to that, I was listening to it last night. It is beautiful. The the, the guitar that he just brought it alive. It just speaks to you. It's beautiful. Five CDs worth of guesting. What we are told is that George was not one to particularly go out and play on other people's records. This is not true. <laughs> right. Because it happens over and over and over again. Throughout his career, we're going to talk particularly about one disc, but we'll go through what's on the other discs and talk about some sort of highlights from them. So we start off with disc one. The very first song in the collection is one that we've mentioned before. The Remo fours uh, in the first place. Early George production. It's not very good. It's trying to be pepperish, I think. Yeah, well, it's of that era. You know, it was, it was recorded in 67 or early, early 68, I think. And so the production is a little muddy and it's very kind of loose. <laughs> but, you know, it's funny. He has said that the public basically got to watch him develop as a songwriter. And that's true, you know. We also got to watch him as a producer. Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, right about this time, you also have Sour Milk Seed, which I think is a little bit better produced than you do, but it's definitely George still learning. Yes. He gets better. That eventually is pretty good. Continuing down through disc one, we've got a lot of the popular stuff. We got we got The Cream. We've got Jack Bruce. Uh, we've got... Ashton Gardner and Dyke, I'm Your Spiritual Breadman, which is a weird record. <laughs> yes. I think they've recorded it a couple of times. It's a strange, strange record. I was taken with listening to Derek and the Dominoes version of Rolling Over. I think the, the officially released version was re-recorded, but there is a, a version with George on it. And it's kind of a little, nasty little song. <laughs> well, um, I mean, you know, I'm your backdoor man. <laughs> you know. Let's take it from behind or whatever. And, you know, and it's interesting when you think of what's going on in the background, that this is all kind of going on. So that's an interesting song for me. Then that's followed by a couple numbers from Bobby Whitlock, who is in Texas now and uh, does play live dates in Austin and around. Right. He is friends with our friend and guest we've had on this show, uh, Ed Mayberry, former DJ. Then Ronnie Spector, songs we've talked about, Tandoori Chicken and Try Some, Buy Some. Try Some, Buy Some would become George's. Through my life, I've seen gray sky, met big fry, see them die to get high. Oh, oh, oh. And when it seemed that I could only be lonely, I opened my eyes and I saw. 
Yes. That happened basically with the stuff he did for Ronnie, because he, he did you as well. Tandoori Chicken was just Ronnie's, and it sounds like Ronnie just sort of made up the lyrics on the spot, more or less. Yeah, right. They sent out for dinner. And that's the lyrics. She put it to song. Mal went out and got them Tandoori Chicken and a great big bottle of wine. wine. (laughs) Then uh, a lot of the Apple stuff, Gary Wright, Billy Preston, then into some of George's 70s friends. Jesse Ed doing a cover of Sue Me, Sue You Blues, a little bit slower than George's then several uh, Harry Nilsson songs, and then finally some stuff off of the Nicky Hopkins record. It was like 1973, wasn't it? A little bit later, yeah. Speed On, Banana Anna, Waiting for the Bend, and the one that I will mention, it's an instrumental, but it's not George's slide guitar so much, but he is playing some great guitar on the instrumental uh, Edward. Cool song. You know, all instrumentals. Um and yeah. Ed- Edward was apparently Nikki's nickname, and uh, there's a record out there with uh, Nikki and the Stones before he officially started playing with them uh, called Edward. Yeah, well, jamming with Edward, I think is what it was. Jamming with that. There you go. Um, yeah. Uh, and I was trying to remember the al- name of the album that these were on. Something about the Tin Man. On to the second disc. We got some Don Nicks. We've got Dave Mason. Dave Mason of Traffic. Let me stop here because we totally skipped Badge, which is well, which is uh, which is the hit. I told you not to wander around in the dark. I told you about the swans that they live in the park. Then I told you about our kid. Now he's married to me. Continuing with this to Basketball Jones, which uh, Cheech and Chong, it's again something that you wouldn't have really expected George to be playing on. It was totally thrown together. George was working in another studio with members of the band he was playing with, and he was kind of asked to come over and, hey, maybe play guitar. And then other people joined in. Klaus Orman is on us. And so uh, it, it was totally thrown together. <laughs> Cheech Marin says that he has several different takes of George doing this, and he does the guitar differently every time, but they all work. He said he was going to release it for the 45th. That was five years ago. It's the 50th. (laughs) Are we going to get it this year? It may not be up to him. (laughs) Fair enough. I I think Olivia and Danny have say-so in a, a lot of this. I don't know who the outtakes would belong to. I don't either. But if you use George's name in it, yeah, you have to get some permission. We're going to talk about a song later on that was issued in 2020, and they couldn't issue it without Olivia and Danny's permission. We're not a show about the legal issues, but yes, that's part of why if you look on the White Album, the Easter demos are credited to George Harrison because <laughs> it was his tape. So I, you know, I don't know whether whether that rule counts or whether the it's George counts. Yeah, I'm not a lawyer. I just play one in podcasts. <laughs> I look forward to hopefully being able to hear some of those someday, sometime. Yeah. We get some more Billy Preston. We get uh, Ron Woods, Far East Man. Right. George is playing well on it. <laughs> George would recut that. I can't let him die. 
much like Ronnie Spector. He would write songs for other people, but he would also take them back. Well, I mean, George was not the most prolific of songwriters. He wrote a bunch of stuff, but he wasn't Paul McCartney. He was that for about three years. And then (laughs) then he sort of went back into John Lennon mode. It's like, oh, well, I'll write occasionally. When When I have inspiration, I'll write something. Right. Because Paul was not there to call them. (laughs) <laughs> we get a Hall and Oates number on here. How can it be? George got around. <laughs> so when I met George, you know, uh, we bonded over race cars. We met through Sir Jackie Stewart, who has become a lifelong friend. He and his family have become a lifelong friends. And, um, you know, when I went to George's house um, to Friar Park, I, we didn't even talk about music. We talked about cars and stuff. Um, well, I, again, it's like we said up front, he didn't refuse to play on other people's records. If he's around or if you send him a tape, sure, I'll do that. Right. As long as you have some connection to him, yeah, sure, I'll think about it. And he would usually do it. There's one song on this collection that I thought was wild. Mick Fleetwood, his brother-in-law-in-law, although not at that point in time. <laughs> right, right. George was married to Patty. Patty was sisters with Jenny. Jenny was married to Mick. Mick Fleetwood, right. Mick Fleetwood, yeah, not, they, not Mick Jagger. They cut a Fleetwood Mac song that Lindsey Buckingham wrote called I Walk a Thin Line, which is a Lindsey Buckingham song. And it was interesting to me to hear what George played on that song. George is not Lindsey Buckingham. <laughs> no, he's not. So his choices were different, and it was very interesting to follow, I thought, being a, a fan of that song. One of my favorites from the Oddball Collection, Freedom from the Film Water, Billy Connolly and the Singing Rebels. The fact that George and Eric Clapton and Ringo were there, that's the punchline of that joke. It was a handmade film, and George was always willing to help out. And the whole scene is, is just such a wonderful joke, uh, playing yeah. at the UN for the concerts for the people of Cascara. Yeah. It's who's it and what's it together again. <laughs> it's a fun record. It's a better version of a song called Freedom than Paul did. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked about that as well. There are lots and lots of songs uh, called Freedom. While this is not necessarily one of the best, this is far better than one of the worst. And, well, I think we can say that McCartney's Freedom uh, is pretty far down the line there. Yeah, not a favorite. <laughs> For either of us. <laughs> right. Let's see, anything else on disc two we want to mention? Talk Don't Bother Me and Alvin Lee track. Alvin Lee being a friend of George's. So the the disc we're going to spend the most time talking about, we're going to go through in its entirety. Disc three starts out with a couple of instrumentals. Take Away the Sadness, that's Jim Horn. George played a lot with Jim Horn. This seems a little bit to me like kind of returning a favor. Yes. It's it's just, it's an instrumental with George on slide and Jim Horn basically duets with him in a couple of places. And it's nice. 
It's a little bit slick. It's of that style. I mean, it's okay. I came out on the 1990 album, uh, Work It Out. Then a couple of Dwayne Eddy tunes, the first of which, The Trembler, has the songwriting credit, Shankar Eddy. That was recorded at Georgia Studio. Yeah, George apparently hummed it to him. Yeah. Uh, he didn't get it from directly from Ravi, but George hummed this tune to Dwayne Eddy, and it's like, oh, well, I can do something with that. Well, <laughs> the story was he hummed him the line, and the, the last note of the line is an odd choice. It's not really a Western interval, necessarily. And George told him that that was the greatest note he'd ever heard when that line went there. And so Eddie was like, oh, I could do something with that. It was produced by Jeff Lynn with George on the slide. Amusing, although I don't know how accurate story about how that came to be. Dwayne Eddy called up Jeff Lynn and said, you know, I'd like you to produce my new album. Jeff Lynn said, oh, well, okay, sure, great. I'll do it, but I'm getting ready to produce George Harrison's Cloud Nine. And so, you know, they talked back and forth. And then eventually George apparently butted in and said, no, no, we'll do the Dwayne Eddy record first. Yeah, because Dwayne had basically said, oh, oh, yeah. Certainly, you should produce George's album. And Jeff Lynn's like, kind of, okay, you know, they hung up, called back about 10 minutes later. And George was like, no, 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 let's do Dwayne's album. Whether we believe that or not, I don't know. Yeah, it's a good story. It's a good story. Yeah. And theme for something really important, it does sound like a theme song, although it's not as best I can tell. Right. So, I mean, you know, there's a little bit of humor in there. <laughs> Right. The fourth track, I love this track. Uh, yeah, I do too. Uh, it's really the only time that we would get sort of inner light, love you too, within you, without you, George Harrison, ever again. I mean, he, he would play the sitar and he would add little Indian touches, but he never really tried a number like this. Yeah, yeah. The song it, is, is Ride, Ride Rajbun. Right. By, and, by the Bunburys. Right. And I think... Uh, uh, Ravi did the the intro, the sitar, yeah, the sitar. It, the whole thing has an Indian feel, although the middle part of the song with the lyrics you could see is kind of a Western. I mean, he, it's not written to be an Indian song necessarily, but the whole thing works so well. It's great to hear, uh, and a very young Danny guesting with George which is really kind of cool. And the whole thing had the Bee Gees backing, not backing on the record, but they're the reason that this record exists. Yeah. Well, th at that point, they were the Bee Gees. <laughs> I mean, this is between Cloud Nine and the Wilburys. Right. So there was a an animated series, so this kind of makes this George's Rupert. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. It's interesting to think about, though, because you can definitely see the the jump from Cloud Nine to the Wilburys. Part of it's Jeff Lynn, but there's kind of connection there. And this stuck in the middle, which I had never heard before, is just like, wow. It kind of explains why George put a little sitar on the Wilburys. Not a whole lot, but there's a little bit there. Yeah.
song exists because there was a television show about the Bunburys. It's cricket playing rabbits. George had, for the first time in his life, picked up team sports as a fan because Clapton and Elton John were fans of cricket. Right. They went to matches. They hung out and they apparently played cricket on the grounds of uh, Friar Park. (laughs) That led to this series of stories about a cricket team made up of rabbits from all over the world, um, one of which is this Indian rabbit. Right. (laughs) And it was only available on the soundtrack of this TV show. Neither the TV show nor the album was ever released in the States. You notice you said that whole thing about how it all came about and never mentioned any jazz cigarettes. (laughs) Well, I don't think there were any involved. (laughs) Do you think there might have been? Why not? Well, this is true. I mean, it has a touch of the psychedelia. It doesn't really sound like a pot song. You know, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about with the Beatles in India film. Yeah. The two are just put together because we think they're put together. It's not necessarily reflected in the music. It's more in the way the whole idea came together. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, it it could be that George decided (laughs) that he liked cricket because while they enjoyed some... uh, recreation before they went to the matches i I mean from an american point of view cricket is hard to watch right but if you're standing out there on the pitch you know smoke it away who knows all right speaking of elton the next song on this disc loves the state of mind by sylvia griffin sylvia griffin came about through elton's ex-wife yes elton was actually married to a woman for a while yeah i remember that George plays well. The record is not great. Cold wind howls down the street at night As my eyes watch you go And I give It sounds very 1988. It's a very lesser version of what we're going to get in just a little bit here. That was called foreshadowing. (laughs) Okay. But this was a payback for Cloud9. And so Elton said, George, can you play on this? And all right, fine. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's not a great record. George makes it good enough to listen to. Yeah. But the rest of the record, eh, fairly disposable, I think. It's not terrible. Uh, It's entertaining enough but it would never be a hit and it's probably about the limits of the the young woman's talents yeah nepotism at its best (laughs) right a favor for a favor (laughs) exactly next is the opposite of nepotism at its best hot love from del shannon (laughs) yep i mean del is well steeped in beatles lore and he was almost a wilbury well some say that Some also say that they never really considered it. They hung out a lot. And did some tracking together. And they did a version of Runaway. Right. Uh, On this, they just, uh, it's George and Tom Petty and Jeff Lynn doing backing vocals. Basically. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, George isn't playing any guitar. I thought he he was he might have been playing a little bit of the acoustic, but not sure. Yeah, I'm I'm guessing no. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, it's it's entirely possible it could go either way. Yeah. If you needed guitars, and you've got George Harrison, Tom Petty, and Jeff Lynne, why wouldn't you use all of them? <laughs> well, not to mention Del Shannon. I mean, Del Shannon is a very good guitar player in and of himself. Yeah. And I think he's clearly there. He's definitely playing on it. The question is whether anybody else is. And I mean, there is a little bit of the sort of wash of acoustic guitars. And so, you know, that's why I kind of thought, well, maybe one of them is George. (laughs) Nonetheless, he's not playing a big slide solo. There's nothing which makes it stand out as this is George Harrison other than, yeah, he's doing some backing vocals and you can hear him doing that. Nothing at all. Yeah, there's no, no guitar work at all that is anything. Next is a Jim Capaldi track, uh, 
oh lord why lord it's interesting to see how often george kind of ends up on these gospel tracks i mean of course hanging out with billy preston that's going to happen Jim Capaldi was a uh, member of Traffic. So, I mean, they'd known each other since Magical Mystery Tour era. Yeah. And Clapton's on this as well. Yeah, Clapton so. gets the big solo, but George still gets uh, a little bit of the slide in there. Yeah, you can hear him. Yeah. But uh, this is another one that's very 80s in sound. I mean, the one shortfall of this disc is a lot of it sounds like Jeff Lynn production. I mean, not all of it is, but, you know, that shows you how kind of tied up all of this is with the era. Yeah. So speaking of Wilburys and Jeff Lynne production, (laughs) A Love So Beautiful is the next track. That's Roy Orbison's voice at its best. Yeah. Song was written by Roy Orbison and Jeff Lynne. It's really a beautiful song. It's one of the ones where George is not playing his slide. He's just doing acoustic, but he does his darndest on it. Yeah. Good record. Okay. Next is a song that we were talking about before we went on the air. It's uh, the hit. I won't back down the Tom Patty song. Ringo is playing drums in the video and he doesn't play drums on the record. Right. George is playing the acoustic and he did play acoustic on the record, but there's some question as to who is playing the solo. It's in the style of George. sound completely like a george solo right and mike campbell certainly could do that easily one reason why it could be george and not mike is the fact that this is tom petty's solo album this is not with the heartbreakers now he did record with any number of members of the band on his solo albums but I'm saying it doesn't have to be Mike Campbell because it's not a Heartbreakers album. Yeah, what we do know is that it was played on Rocky. Tom Petty had told us that Rocky was used on that slide solo. Although in the video, we see Mike Campbell playing Rocky. So right. our best guess is that it's probably Mike Campbell. It may be someone else, but it's less likely to be George playing that solo. Yeah, and he is credited as playing the acoustic. So, and Tom Petty has a story about George going and getting ginger root, not herbal jazz cigarettes, but herbal medicine for Tom to clear his throat so he could sing the song. Yeah, he had a cold and and George ministered to him, took care of him, gave him love. He didn't buy him zoobs. <laughs> well, apparently after getting this ginger steam going, he went in and and it's the vocal that you hear, so I guess it worked. So now another one of those, gee, you wouldn't have expected George to be on this. We got two songs from Belinda Carlisle. The hit was Leave a Light On. Right.
lead slide. A long lead slide. Uh, they made a point of saying, we're going to leave 16 bars open rather than just eight. Right. And George has, on a number of occasions, said that this is probably one of his, if not the, certainly one of his favorite slide sessions ever. Pretty cool. Good slide. It's a good record. I mean, we were talking about girl singer records as they were. This is a much better version of what they tried to do with the other record from from Elton's nepotism. Yeah, right. Who's walked into the studio? It's only Belinda Carlisle. Hello, Belinda. Hi, how are you? So good to see you. Nice to see you. Very good to see you. Now, if you didn't know, uh, Belinda Carlisle, of course, was uh, the one of the founder members of the Go Go's before she went solo. And since releasing her debut album in '86, she's had a string of worldwide smash hits. She's sold kajillions of <laughs> albums. She continues to play live to packed out audiences. Belinda, you are extraordinary. Can I just say? Oh, Thank you. You know, she's got such a great voice. This was post-Go-Go's, pre and post-Go-Go's, because the Go-Go's have reunited on any number of occasions. The Go-Go's are now in the Rock Hall. There you go. So the story is it apparently came about because Belinda's manager was someone who was in touch with George, and they just kind of sent him the tape. Would you do this? And he said, oh, yeah, I like her voice. Sure, whatever. Yeah. Now that song's particularly special, isn't it? Because you had an amazing guest guitarist, I think, on that. Uh, George George Harrison oh, plays the lead on that. Oh. Yeah. How did that happen, Belinda? Did you, you just know? asked? You asked? <laughs> did you just ask? I actually met him um, before that at the San Remo Festival, and it's just like one of those cases of just ask because you never know what the answer will be. So, wow. yeah, he said yes, and he said yes straight away, and there it was. I know. I think he was a a, a fan of like that sort of girl group kind of sound yeah. voice and that gang thing so sure. it appealed to me you didn't do a lot of work with other artists so. oh, amazing wowzers so here's 16 bars george not only did the solo he did some backing vocals they they left like eight tracks on the of the 16 open for him <laughs> right <laughs> very uh, much the sort of thing that we would do these days Although you just couldn't send file, you'd have to make a copy of the tape and FedEx the master over. It's a different world now, that's for sure. <laughs> well, very much so. Then he was on one other song off that record with Belinda Carlisle, Deep, Deep Ocean. It's good. What's it gonna take? What's it gonna be? When you're gonna break and up it? It's not my favorite, but it's good. Yeah, it is. And this is an interesting contribution. George plays a 12-string on this and a six-string bass. Yeah, and you don't hear six-string basses all that often. No. <laughs> I mean, you right. barely hear five-string basses these days. Yeah. Paul was playing one right about this time, actually, wasn't he? The, the wall? That was a five-string, wasn't it? Yeah, the five-string, not six-string. Even five string, we don't see that many of those. Yeah. That Kind of Woman from Gary Moore is up next, which was co-written by George. Uh, George is playing the rhythm and the slide. It's a nice little rocking tune. It is. She's kind of crazy. I was really surprised. This is a song I hadn't heard before. And we get a couple of Eric Clapton songs. Uh, Run So Far, which George would redo for Brainwashed. Eric's almost sounds like a demo in comparison. It's very unfinished, I think. Right.
George did much more to flesh out the song for his own version. And again, it's another one of those, like we've been talking about, oh, George wrote it, and then he decided, oh, I'll do my own version of it as well. Yeah. Then Eric does the same Gary Moore, that kind of woman. He goes a little bit more bluesy with it. I think I like the rockier version better. Do you? Yeah, I like Clapton's voice better. That kind of woman. This came out on Olivia Harrison's uh, Romanian Angel Appeal record. Nobody's Child. The big deal at the time being that it was her, Linda McCartney, Yoko, and Barbara Bach who were the sponsoring folks behind the whole Angel Appeal. Yeah. Gee, we got the four Beatle wives. Isn't that fun? <laughs> I think between the two versions, Clapton's was recorded first. It was one of four songs that George offered to Clapton for the Journeyman album. And then Clapton recorded it first, but Moore's version came out first. Okay. And then they used Clapton's version on the Nobody's Child record. Then we get a couple songs from Jeff Lynn from Armchair Theater. Do you like that record? No. <laughs> <laughs> really? Not particularly. It kind of sounds like outtakes from Cloud Nine to me. <laughs> you know, some of them rise up to the level of what's on Cloud Nine, but some of them just kind of sound like outtakes. The album came out in 90. I was a fan of ELO, and I just felt like his writing was so different for that that a lot of his solo stuff just doesn't really move me that much. And so for a long time, I just strictly thought of him as a producer. The four tracks we've got from the Jeff Lynne album, uh, Every Little Thing, not The Beatles' Every Little Thing. It's another one. No, when I saw the title, I thought, oh, cool. This will be cool. And it wasn't. <laughs> George is having fun on the backing vocal. He's, he's kind of winking at the audience a little bit. Are you pseudo ELO in a lot of ways <laughs> you know with the horns and with the production style yeah although it's still not it doesn't reach that level for me the next song lift me up there's a song which uh, could use something yeah although of the four that he's on that's the one I like best it seems just a little bit like it's looking for something Then September song. Yeah, it's the, an old classic. does another one stormy weather same stormy weather which Ringo did as an outtake life is bare gloom and misery everywhere stormy weather these two are not memorable he would do a very similar thing a little bit later with old wave he would have a whole album of these sort of standards yeah that's that's a favorite thing 
of some folks. Although it's not just standards because it does kind of just go into the Roy Orbison in the 50s era rather than just sort of sticking with what we call the Great American Songbook. Right. If you want a place to get the songs on Armchair Theater that George appears on, they're here. So you don't have to go pick up the record if you don't want to. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, if, you know, it fits in with the theme and, you know, great. Agreed. Next up is the, is the Jeff Healy Band uh, doing a cover of While My Guitar Gently Weeps. I don't know why nobody told you how to unfold your love. Decent cover, and George is on it. George is playing the acoustic guitars there. Right. Uh, along with Jeff Lynn. Right. What's great is George singing the harmony. Yeah. Kind of takes the song over the top a little bit in a good way. Yeah. The version the the band does is very respectable. Good version. And Harrison plays the guitar and and sings. The last song on this disc is another one that I really like. This is Vicky Brown. This is the wife of Joe Brown. The most famous bootleg is George and Vicky Brown singing Shanghai Surprise. <laughs> Everyone thought that was Madonna back in the bootleg days. <laughs> right. You know, she was a member of the Vernon's Girls. She had a great voice. Yeah, this is an interesting song. It might be considered slightly twee. Yeah, it's tropical-esque. George's contribution is straight from his Hawaiian home. It very much sounds like something that might have been on Brainwashed. And the name of the song is Lulela. He smiled at me and said to me, Let's move on to disc four. More Alvin Lee. Here's where the, the I Want You that you had mentioned earlier is on disc four. That's a pretty smoking version. Great credit. George plays the first guitar lead. The whole arrangement is, is real hot. I want you. And it's not that much like the Beatle version. There are calls back to it, but the arrangement is different. Yes, definitely. Drums, I mean, the whole thing is unique, but certainly calls back to the original version. It's really good. We got some more Alvin Lee with Real Life Blues. Uh, we've got Jimmy Nail with Real Love. Again, not the Beatles' Real Love. Right, but it, cool song. I liked it. A lot of these songs I'd never heard before. Uh, more Gary Wright with the Don't Try to Own Me. Right. A Carl Perkins tune, uh, Distance Makes No Difference with Love. That's from the Go Cat Go album. That's a record that I like a lot. And George clearly put his whole heart and soul into it. Right. So distance makes no difference with love.
a couple of ELO songs. Speaking uh, of. A uh, Long Time Gone and All She Wanted. Right. Love Letters with Bill Wyman's Rhythm Kings. And that was a cool version as well. Anna Julia from Jim Capaldi. And then uh, Horse to the Water, which was uh, really the last George bit of singing that we would get. Right. That was at the point where he was no longer able to play the guitar. Right. And then it's a song called Punch Drunk from a band called Ruby Horse. Yeah, it was real cool. It was uh, released early 2000, originally? Uh, yeah, I, I even think a little bit before that. Um, although it dates back even further, the deal was they were an Irish band and they moved to Boston. And then in Boston, they got signed to a label in L.A., Interscope, I believe. Uh-huh. And through it's through Interscope that they got George Harrison to do this solo. Again, someone who knew George kind of called them up and said, would you do this? And they're, okay, yeah, right, fine. Yeah, it's a good piece of music. I've heard this whole album. It's very different than the rest of the record. It's a little bit beatle It's actually yeah. a little bit more John Lennon than it is beatle Yeah. It kind of reminds me of uh, the Imagine Sessions a little bit. Yeah. And so the album never actually came out, but they did manage to rescue George's solo, and they kept the tape. And then in 2020, they did a COVID version with the tape. Yeah. An acoustic version, which I also like a whole lot. Yeah, both versions are are very good. Entertaining. It's interesting listening through this disc. You can see the evolution of George's slide. Yeah, you can. I mean, you, you can see how he improved at playing the slide. Yeah. If you're wondering, disc five is mostly both the Bob Fest stuff and the, uh, Bob and George sessions prior to All Things Must Pass. Probably heard. Now officially released. <laughs> right. I really like this collection. I mean, since you're saying that you hadn't heard a lot of it, uh, you know, it's good to have it all in one place. Yeah, for sure. And it's like anything. There are old friends on this. Where you go, oh, yeah, I remember that. And the Jack Bruce stuff and the early things. I'm more familiar with as it went on. You just kind of lost track of what George was playing on. Yeah. And so it's interesting to come across things like ride ranchman. That's incredible. I thought that was a great. That was just such a rare thing for the longest time. I think the very first time I heard it was on the radio on some Beatles show that would have been in the early 2010s, I think. Ah. Well long after the song had come out, and it deserves to be much better known. Yeah, agree. I hope George finds a place for it, or the estate finds a place for it in one of their re-releases, because it still hasn't been officially re-released. Ah. You put that with Mo and some of the other things that George has done, and it is definitely a George Harrison track, so I mean, saying he's guesting on it is a little disingenuous, but just a little. There's a lot of stuff that I like. Uh, that I already liked. It's nice to hear them together. And it's nice to discover some things that you hadn't heard. And who knows, hearing it more than just once or twice, I could end up liking some of these that I don't really know that well. We will put up links to certainly everything that we talked about in this show, you know, all of disc three plus some of the other tracks. But if you can find it out there on the internet, it is out there. It does exist. And downloads are available if you know how to type the right things into Google. Right. Right. Spot the Looney is the name of the set. Yes. And if you really want to know, it's FLO Records. It's out there. And again, if you want to know more about 
other things that Beatles have played on, go get Kristoff's uh, book, The Fully Uncovered, that tells you everything that any of them ever guessed it on. And add that to your encyclopedias. Yeah, exactly. The very first version of this book came out when George was still alive, and he actually has a picture in the back. George wrote him back and said, this is a really good piece of work. And so this is like the fourth version of it. Ah, nice. As I'm sure you've heard, mid-January, David Crosby passed away. Moving on with the theme of the show, David Crosby was both an associate of the Beatles and although they never guested with him, he certainly credits their influence and they hung out together. Crosby was a huge influence, basically introducing Ravi Shankar to them and... uh... He was a kindred spirit. Apparently, uh, the birds before 1964 were trying to be a folk band. That's the direction they were writing their music. And what Crosby has said in interviews was that the band went to go see Hard Day's Night, and they walked out of the theater saying, that's what we have to do. Right. And that 12 string, that 12 string was, they picked that up and ran with it. And the Beatles dug it very much so. I mean, uh, you know, John Lennon referred to them as the American Beatles. Right. And Crosby came and, and attended a session for Sgt. Pepper. We can't skip out on And Your Bird Can Sing from Revolver, the clearest nod they ever made to the birds. Right. Using the 12 string in the style that they adopted. Kind of copy of Bells of Remini. Referencing that title goes back to um, If I Needed Someone. It all ties together. So Crosby was definitely someone that they were interested in hanging out with. Who is the young man with the lengthy haircut to your right rear? Right rear. Uh, That's a good old day, isn't it? What is he? Who is it? from the uh, burn. A mate of ours. Not to mention the fact that, well, Crosby was apparently their uh, hookup for the herbal jazz cigarettes. You were responsible for helping the Beatles find weed when they came to the U.S. for the first time? Am I getting that right? In England back then, but they had only hash, and they would mix it with tobacco. Now I get there, and I'm used to rolling joints of really good weed. I give George Harrison a joint of really good weed, and he likes that a whole load better than hash and tobacco. George was like, really? John, even more. And then when they came, of course, to California, that was, that was the first call. Yeah. Of course, we need some of that. You've got to get it over here right now. <laughs> right. The boys had been to the Bahamas, and they're taking David Crosby's California grass. You would have think that they might have had better stuff by then. <laughs> I think with Crosby as well, there's a a certain uh, openness to taking whatever, which Lennon appreciated. You know, it wasn't just pot. It was acid as well. Fair enough. Crosby then showed up at the Pepper Sessions, and we got several photographs of them together hanging out. Right. And there's a rumor he sang on the chorus and uh, on Sergeant Pepper on the opening track. You could decide for yourself. I mean, we do have the isolated vocals. You can pull them apart, and I mean, sometimes it's just so hard to tell. I feel like he is probably there. The thing that makes me hesitate to some degree is that the pictures you see of them in the studio, John, Paul, and George are all wearing headphones, and Crosby is not. (laughs) Through the years... They certainly cross paths. It's, it's a little bit interesting that they did never find any time to work together. Well, you know, Crosby, Stills, Nash came to Apple. The rumor is that they actually wanted to be on the label. Yeah. They cut a version of Blackbird with their identifiable harmonies in order to sway them to get signed. But the story I've read is that George basically told them, probably not a good idea right now. Someone be it John Paul, George, or Ringo, or Peter Asher was, no, I don't think we want to do that. Crosby would show up throughout the 70s. He's a voice. I mean, he will be missed. It's actually kind of a little surprising that he lived as long as he did, although maybe there's something to it. Like you say, maybe the pot helped. 
<laughs> if you lost track of him, I would suggest listening to the very first CPR album. It's really outstanding work. And he just released an album, what, like last year? He did. I mean, he continued to, to put out music, and it was quite good. He will be missed. Uh, he is, uh, well, I mean, kind of like we were talking about with Mick Fleetwood, he's kind of a, a second cousin in the Beatle world. <laughs> right. That's just kind of the era we're living in, I guess. You know, it's, uh, it's about that time uh, when these folks start to drop away. <laughs> yes, it is about that time. <laughs> I'm sure if there's a rock and roll heaven, I'll have lots of friends and heroes. Up there. <laughs> oh, you know, they got a hell of a band, as they say. <laughs> well, that's what they say. <laughs> All right. That is George Harrison Spot the Looney and it is a great collection. It's something that uh, you all should look out for, although we will be putting up links to as much as we can find uh, of it. And that should be most of it because most of it is on YouTube these days. That's another one of those things that's just so different from even 10 years ago. Yeah, it's true. It's all it takes is time and a keyboard. <laughs> we will be back next week with the new show. Take care. Subscribe to when they was fab on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or wherever finer podcasts are found. Please join our Facebook group and we could be reached at when they was fab and on Gmail. The opening theme was written, produced, and recorded by Jay Young Kim, Beaster Famine Studios, San Francisco, California. Los Angeles to record this album, and uh, we had this uh, song called Punch Trunk, and uh, the producer was like, ah, you know, it's missing kind of the lead part, and we were like, yeah, maybe, maybe, and George Harrison's flying from London to Hawaii, but he's laying over in Los Angeles for two days, and a mutual friend of ours was picking him up, and he was playing the demos in the car, and he asked to hear that song a couple of times. And then about three or four weeks later, he was back in his home in London. And he rang up and he said, you know, I was out gardening and I heard this song in my head and I couldn't figure out what song it was. He said, I think it's those young kids from Ireland. So he said, I've got this guitar part, look, I don't know if you want it or not. So, well, I think it's funny. The second, the second Christmas, we were coming home to call for Christmas. And we were mixing the, the song in Miami, right, Sun Beach. <laughs> so, like, there's fucking three of us there sitting down in our white, white fronts on the beach in South Beach. Oh, fucking pork, pink, sun, guts hanging out. We're like, geez, I can't wait to get home to, to Washington now for points and things and red crack. And what about this George Harrison fella? Are we going to use it or not? Like, ah, you can't have a beat to play in your record. I can take from you. Yeah, we have to catch ourselves. Like, any of us. We're here wondering whether it's a good idea to have a beat to play in your album. Get real, mother. So anyway, we, we decided to you know, we, we give him a thumbs up. Good man, he was a good man. I tell you one thing, there's sickness going on and there's some good people doing work in hospitals. But they got no bread to do it on. Not only are they working in a miserable condition with sick people, but they're, they're scraping the barrel for funds to keep going. Turned up nice again. <laughs>